Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layers podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you're doing well and staying safe during these COVID times. Today, we're excited to bring you a talk with Corey Berger, the worldwide chief marketing officer at Gray Group, one of advertising's most highly awarded creative agency networks. I believe Gray is over 100 years old, in fact. Corey Berger joined Gray from the award-winning independent creative agency, Pereira Odell, where he played the key role in forging partnerships with brands, including General Mills, Mini Autos, Reebok, Fox Sports, the NBA, and many others. He's also overseen many wins at Cannes Lions, the Effies, Emmys, Clio's, and the Sundance Film Festival. Corey was named to the prestigious Ad Age 40 Under 40 list in 2016. Welcome to Hidden Layers, Corey. It's great to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. So tell us, what does it mean to be the worldwide CMO at Gray Group? Well, it's a good question. It, 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 as you can imagine, it means something slightly different than it would have eight, eight months or so ago. And, and I've only been in the job for, for about 12 months. But in essence, you know, my role at Gray is to be the steward of our brand, right? So what does that mean? It means, you know, leading all of our growth and marketing and communications efforts around what our agency stands for, what our philosophies are, what we believe in, and, and, and what value we think we can add to clients' brands vis-a-vis their, their marketing and communications efforts. So does that mean that you're working a lot on the pitches themselves or, or really just stewarding all the different offices around the world and, and how they're representing themselves, et cetera? That's right. So I oversee all of our growth efforts so that I'm very involved in, in our new business, in our new business, you know, uh, work. Certainly when, when you are a network of our size with over 60 offices around the world, you have hundreds of pitches going on at any one moment in time. I'm not involved in 90% of them, um, but I am involved in leading many of our big pitches that certainly happen here in North America and, and around the world. And I'm involved from the standpoint of making sure that as we go to market as a global network, that we're going to market in with, with some level of consistency, whether you are working with Gray in the Philippines or in South Africa or in Europe or here, which is a difficult thing to do considering, you know, as, as, as an agency network, we've gotten to this size through a series of acquisitions and, and, you know, in, in, as you can imagine in different markets, you know, the, the role of the agency might be slightly different. So while it's important to have some consistency around our messaging and how we go to market at the same time, there needs to be flexibility built into the system in terms of, uh, what might actually be working in a particular market. So speaking of these pitches that you've been working on, our audience is really interested in learning about marketing technology innovation and how that's being applied to, to brands these days. You know, we're, there's, there's always so much talk out there about AI, AI, AI. Where are you seeing that in these pitches? Are you seeing marketers looking for more technology involved in what they want to be doing? How are you guys integrating AI and the collaboration between artificial and human intelligence and things like that? Sure. Well, just to take a step back for a second, our role as the type of, of sort of lead creative agency that we are is to is to first and foremost come in and really help clients develop what their brand positioning needs to be. A lot of foundational elements around strategy and positioning and target audience and, and 
you know, things like that need to be done before we even get to the point of thinking about how we're then going to bring that positioning or creative platform to life. So that's the value that we provide is, you know, what is that core brand platform? And then what are all the various touch points that need to, that, 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 that we need to bring that platform to life through a variety of creative tactics and executions. And then that's when we start to incorporate things like technology and AI around whether, you know, does it make sense for this particular brand to invest in technologies that will help further deliver on that core brand idea? In some instances, the answer is no. We still have work with a lot of clients who are, you know, from a media standpoint, allocating their dollars to what might be considered more traditional mediums. But for the most part, certainly you have clients who are looking to test the waters in new areas. And as an agency, we need to be on the forefront of that. So, you know, we, we have, we have an, a head of innovation. We have an innovation department who are keeping our creative teams abreast of what the newest technologies are out there that they need to be thinking about as they're ideating solutions for whatever brand they might be working on. And as part of our holding company, WPP, as you can imagine, we have access to relationships and all of the newest tools that are out there before a lot of people might have access to that. So from a creative strategy perspective, you know, this is this is a podcast that has a lot of folks that are data driven that listen to it. You know, how how is data um, a part of your creative process these days? It's a big part of it, but it's it's it you know, you could sort of, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with the amount of data that's out there now and ultimately have it overshadow the sort of any sense of, of, of instinct or gut feeling that you have, which is not good as a creative agency. So, you know, we, we believe in the power of data. It's critically, it's critically important to what we do, but it's really most important in two ways. The first is to inform our creative process, right? So a lot of times there's a real unique data point that one of our strategists will come up with that just sort of lights, you know, lights something up in in, in our creative, you know, director's mind that he's able to latch onto and develop a really strong idea based on, right? So in that sense, it sort of informs and helps drive some of our creative thinking. And then on the back end, obviously, it plays a really important role in terms of measuring, you know, from an analytical standpoint, what's working and what's not so that we can optimize our work and sort of make sure that, that our clients are investing more, more budgets behind what works and what doesn't. But I think, you know, we've sort of gotten to a point, I think, where you know, sort of data overload in many ways. And uh, it's very easy to rely strictly on the data when we're ultimately in a business where we're trying to put work out in the world that creates an emotion and creates a reaction. And sometimes, you know, those are things that are driven by just gut and experience that you have of of working in the business versus a particular, you know, data set. So, so can you give us some examples of, of brands that are integrating these technologies whether it's through a partnership you have with WPP or really thinking about it as part of their their media strategy or creative strategy? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to be able to, to rattle off examples. Again, the nature of my role, to be honest, you know, which, which is, is, is slightly different than roles that I've had in the past. You know, I am not as involved in what we are doing for current clients on a daily basis. But I would, I, what I would say is whether it's Procter & Gamble or Volvo or McCormick or Gillette or what we might be doing for the MBA, sort of the list goes on and on. And for all of them, you know, we are being very intentional about the role that technology might might be able to play in delivering, you know, our in, 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 in sort of delivering our ideas in a, in a myriad of ways. And that also includes things that we're looking at at the in-store level. You know, we have a, a significant size office in Cincinnati, which not only services are sort of longstanding a 50-year-plus relationship with Procter & Gamble, but also other clients, and their expertise is in the sort of what would be considered shopper and commerce space. And they are really, you know, close to the, the technologies that are making it easier for consumers to buy things, whether it's, you know, sitting at their home, like we all seem to be doing now, or uh, what it used to be when you're sort of walking up and down the aisles of stores and, and trying to make that shopping experience one that is more seamless and, and easy on consumers. So with your broad view uh, across all these different clients, what channels do you see these brands prioritizing or pivoting to? I mean, what, what, are, the, what are some of the trends you're seeing despite or, or because of COVID, et cetera? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, people, clients, you know, tend to, 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 you know, plan their media, you know, well in advance of, you know, the moment that we might be in right now. I think that what, what I'm sort of witnessing is clients are a little bit unsure as to, in terms of their ability to plan ahead, you know, not knowing where things are going to be in society and culture at large six months from now, it's hard to know where you should be spending your dollars. So, Certainly, the safe place is, you know, is, is, is putting money into digital mediums that, you know, are, are easy to measure and sort of easy to move money around and, you know, easy to, to, to sort of, you know, understand what their return on investment might be. But for the most part, you know, you, you're seeing probably, probably more investment and shifting of dollars into digital and mobile platforms and social platforms than maybe you would have seen if, if you know, we weren't going through the crisis that we're going through now. But in general, I think the media mix is probably not too dissimilar than sort of what it's been before the COVID period began. So, so let's talk a little bit more about the current crisis, the current turbulence in America. And it's, you know, as we, as we were talking before, before the session, you know, it's not just, it's not just COVID now, it's, there's Black Lives Matter movements and protests, and you know the creative itself, the commercial television commercials itself, the the messaging itself has changed pretty quickly from a brand perspective. You know, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing with your brands? Are they struggling with what kind of voice they need to have? Are your teams working overtime in seclusion to get new commercials and messaging out? You know, what what's been going on inside Gray and with the clients? Yeah, so it was, you know, it was pretty remarkable, you know, from the period of around, you know, I, I guess it was, you know, late March until, I don't know, maybe a, a couple months ago, it, it sort of was, you know, an unprecedented period of trying to figure out how do we help clients through this period, you know, every client 
felt like they needed to do something. A lot of clients, not, not just at Gray, but a lot of brands did something and probably turned out to not be the right thing. So we had conversations with all our clients at a senior level. First about A, you know, does it make sense for your particular brand to have a voice or to be talking about this sort of crisis? And then B, if the answer of that is yes, what's the appropriate way that's authentic to who you are as a brand that would come across because it's sort of a very touchy, you know, subject that would come across in the right way that you're not trying to increase your consumer base or drive more sales. So our big, you know, our big strategy for the most part was really around sort of actions and not words, right? So, which is interesting coming from, you know, an advertising and communications agency, you know, we just didn't think it was the right thing to do for brands to be out there talking and sort of creating, you know, montage spots if when pressed, they weren't putting their money where their mouth was and actually doing things to drive to drive real action and, and sort of help at a time when people needed help. So for example, Procter & Gamble, who's our biggest client, we worked very closely with them and their chief brand officer, Mark Pritchard, who you know, is one of the, the preeminent marketers uh, in our industry. And you know, that, to be honest, that strategy, that advice really came from Mark. He said, you know, as, as you know, one of the largest advertisers in the world, I'm not interested in going out there and connecting the things we're going to do related to the pandemic to our individual brands. I am out there. I, I am interested in trying to figure out how can we help get the met get the message out there around staying at home, for example, and how can we help get our products out there to people who are gravely in need of this at a time where they can't leave their house and go buy things like razors or toilet paper. So, you know, so we worked very closely with Mark to develop some programs and, you know, as you saw and, 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 you know, people saw who every time you turn on the TV, a different brand was sort of doing a different montage spot of, you know, stock imagery because, you know, no, there were no productions happening um, and everybody sort of felt like they needed to do a very similar thing. And I think we all felt after a period of time that that approach got a little bit tired and overdone. And then you sort of saw that, you know, stop pretty quickly. So, you know, it was a, it was, it was certainly a period that, you know, I'll never forget. It, it, it was a lot of long nights, but at the same time, you know, it was the first time, you know, we've all worked on pro bono work or do good work or work that sort of gives back to the community. But this was different because it truly affected all of us, right? It's very rare, if not ever, where you get, you work on something, a crisis where if you don't get the message out about staying at home, it's not just going to affect a subset of people. It's not going to just affect a group of people. It had the ability to ultimately affect all of us. So it felt like it was very, very worth it. And it was a time for us to, to use our expertise and use our capabilities in a way that really mattered. So speaking of, of you know, getting the message out, was there a lot of discussion within Gray and the clients about how to effectively do that since live sports was, was out? People were moving to streaming because television didn't have any new real content. Streaming doesn't have as many commercial opportunities, et cetera. Did you guys 
you know, work with your clients and talk about how instead of a TV commercial, which is what we've traditionally used as a big brand messaging capability. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I could give you sort of an example. And again, it's sort of a, a, a client by client thing, but basically, and, and I'll sort of go back to the Procter & Gamble example, just because I was intimately sort of involved in, in, in this effort, but we got a call from Mark uh, or our, our, our client lead who runs that business for us, Debbie Rayner, got a call from Mark on a Friday night after Mark had received a phone call from the governor of Ohio, Governor DeWine. And again, this is probably in late March. And he said, I'm really concerned because our young people are not getting the message. This is when the message was about staying at home, right? Not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. I'm really concerned that young people in particular are not getting that message because they're not sitting at home watching press conferences on CNN where politicians are talking about the importance of staying at home. And I need your help. And obviously he called Mark because Dr. Gamble is the largest company in, in Ohio. Mark called us and over the period of about 72 hours and a lot of phone calls and a lot of negotiations with rights managers and, and a lot of sort of brainstorms on our end, we created a program called the Distance Dance Challenge ultimately went on to be the single biggest program that had ever been done to date on TikTok. I think currently has over 17 billion views with a B. And, and the sort of germination of that was, you know, how are we going to get the message out there about staying at home in a way that's not traditional? Because again, young people aren't watching TV. And if they were, even if they saw a commercial, it's not really going to sort of hit home in the way that something might if it was done in their language. So within that 72 hour period, we reached out to the biggest influencer on TikTok, Charlie D'Amelio and her management team. We had her choreograph a dance called the Distance Dance Challenge, which went live by Monday. So this, the, the conversation started on Friday. On Monday night, it went live which basically was all around the idea of staying at home and hashtag distance dance. We woke up on Tuesday morning. There were already a few million views. We thought that this, the program was a success at that point. We had no idea that over the course of the next week, there would be several billion views. It would be featured across all you know, national media uh, outlets like Sports Center and Good Morning America and Inside Edition and celebrities started to do it. And so essentially, you know, the, the strategy there was we identified a platform, that platform being TikTok, that A, spoke in the language that of the audience that we needed to reach, but also allowed us to get something out there in a record with, with sort of record speed, knowing that every hour, every day that we wasted, you know, lives were at risk. So they ended up being the right part, uh, partner for us. They were great. They donated all of the media. So there was no sort of exchange of, of paid media there. And it was just a tremendous collaborative effort, but all rooted in the idea of how, what is a new way that we can get a message that was already out there in traditional means, but wasn't necessarily working. And then there, and, and there are real results, right? Ohio started to, over a period of time, see people stay home. And, and certainly the country did at large as well. Yeah. The, the power of TikTok and specifically Charlie is is so stratospheric at this point, especially for brands. I mean, product placement is only, she, she can only do so many different kinds of product placement, but this kind of message seems to be perfect for her platform and, and her following. I know that every young person I know follows her and watches. 
watches everything that she does. So yeah, well, if, if, if it wasn't for my daughter who was sitting next to me yeah. <laughs> when the phone call, I mean, it's a true story. When the phone call came in, we only had about three hours. We, we got the call from Mark Friday night. We had to get on the phone with him Saturday morning at 9 a.m. and share our initial ideas. If it wasn't for her sitting next to me ha- watching TikTok with Charlie on it, yeah. just when I sort of threw the idea out there, it never would have came about. So it's, it, it's she, she deserves some of the credit. And, you know, Charlie at the time, I think, was the number two most followed uh, person on TikTok. Very quickly, she became number one. And, all, and, and then the doors sort of opened in terms of brands that started to reach out to her following this. But before that, there hadn't really been much. Brands sort of were interested in TikTok, but they weren't totally sure how to use the platform in a way that made sense. Right, right. And and speaking of TikTok and 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 the world, how 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 do you see the reactions around the world differing from what's happening in the United States? Are they about the same? Are they trying to get the same kind of messages out? Are they focused on different things, et cetera? Yeah, I think I think it's slightly different. I just think it's it's a timing thing. You're just seeing waves of you know Asia was sort of first to get hit, and then they came back for anybody else you know you're seeing sort of an uptick right now again in europe and you know i think the messaging for the most part you know ends up tying into the sort of moment in time that you might be in in terms of how you're handling the crisis you know here you know here it feels like the the sort of tenor of things are moving more towards a sort of get back to to, to normalcy you know sort of get back to work things are slightly you know under control a little bit but obviously that could change very, very quickly. So I think it at any given moment, the, the messages might be similar, but I think it's just more reflective of where the particular region might be in terms of, of, of the crisis. So we're almost out of time. And I was just wondering what you thought 2021 would look like for Gray from the future of the workplace, from new new creative opportunities, new technologies. What, what is 2021 thing looking like for, for you guys? Well, I mean, I I, I, I I promised myself I wasn't going to, I was no longer going to do this, right? Sort of look ahead as to what a next year might look like considering what happened this year. You know, this time, yeah. this time last year, 12 months ago, exactly to the day, I was three weeks into the job and I was sitting in a bunch of meetings in, in Istanbul, Turkey, with a bunch of my global partners talking about what 2020 was going to look like. And as you can imagine, you know, most of that stuff didn't come, didn't come to fruition. So, you know, I think who who knows uh, what 2021 is going to be like in terms of the workplace. I certainly would think that, you know, as we think about the role that the workplace and the office plays for our agency, we think that it plays an important role, but we think it plays a different role than it did in the past. And that's something that we're working through right now. I think it's going to be a workplace that is much more driven around collaboration and teamwork than it is around, you know, coming in every single day from, you know, nine to six and sending emails to people who are sitting five feet away from you. So I think it'll be a lot more fluid. It'll be a lot more flexible. There'll be a work from home component. You know, the hours will, will be different and our workplace will be built to reflect that. So I'm excited about that. I think that it presents great opportunity, you know, but as a, as a company that's built around creativity, we, we aren't a sales business. We aren't in the subscription business where we're just selling products to people where you could, there's really no role that the, that you need the office for. You know, we, we are driven by human to human interaction 
And there's absolutely a role for for the workplace in our future. And that's something that we're we're sort of figuring out what that's going to look like, you know, in 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 the weeks and months ahead. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for joining us on Hidden Layers. That wraps up another podcast for us. Thank you, everybody out there for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.